1: Hello,
0: and welcome to Awesome Etiquette,
1: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about social media hijacking. Housewarming invitations and
1: replies,
0: confusingly broad wedding invitations, and how to teach gregarious children about self-introductions to strangers.
1: Plus, your most excellent feedback, Etiquette Salute, and a Postscript segment on the six elements to a dinner party, according to Emily Post. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute.
0: I'm Lizzie Post.
1: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
0: And I'm tired. (laughs) I'm
1: passing the baton. I
0: know, right? Dan and I, just so you know, are in the middle of virtually 12 days straight of work. I think you got Saturday off, and I had a very short work time. Well, no, because I did work at home on Sunday. So I was going to say, I only had a small work commitment on Sunday, but actually it was a larger at-home commitment. But it's 12 days straight. I am now in the middle of the Children's Train the Trainer with two wonderful trainees with us this week. And we're having a really lovely time. <laughs> uh,
1: guilty confession? Please. I love my mother back in the office.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so nice,
1: right? Cindy Post-Sending co-teaches the children's etiquette training with Lizzie Post. And when I first started working at Emily Post, she was a full-time... Director. Director. yeah. And I saw her every day. And our relationship definitely changed and evolved around the, the work relationship that was established early on at Emily Post. But she is now in what she delights in calling revered consultant status. Yep. And we were joking last night her about her six work days a year. She's part-time. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: and is very much looking forward to A vacation in the Galapagos that will allow her to rest and recover and recuperate. After
0: her six days of work. A little appropriate (laughs) adventure. No, exactly. We like like to tease our fourth generation quite a bit. I definitely called dad out on being on the golf course one day when, when I had my day off from work. Anyway,
1: (laughs) But it is so nice to see her in and around the office. It reminds me of those early days, and I love my mother dearly. And I enjoy listening to the two of you laughing through the (laughs) wall.
0: I was going to say, no, it's been a really great training so far. It's funny. It never fails that no matter how much we describe to folks that we are a a small family-run business, that, you know, we i don't want to say like i don't want to say average but like you know that we we're, we're everyday people you know what i mean there are no butlers there's no big columns and marble and you know that it, tea service yeah three. that doesn't happen we really are just a modern office and i don't mm-hmm. want to keep using the word just i know it diminishes what comes after but we really are an everyday type of office and it's funny because no matter what emily post and that name and that brand seems to bring an image of mansions and butlers and gardens and estates and things like that. And they're all beautiful and wonderful. And they were certainly part of Emily's world and, and Poppy, our grandfather's world. But we really live in a modern, a modern world that, you know, the place we live doesn't have that type of experience quite as much.
1: And I certainly hope that listeners to this show get a look inside the world of Emily Post as it is on a day to day basis.
0: Exactly. And I think they do, because some of the folks who have come to our trainings who are podcast listeners, which has been Really fun, by the way. They really do have that kind of everyday impression of us, I think. The familiarity. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's always fun to get that moment where you say, No, we don't have the butlers and we don't have the columns. Um, but we do have a lot of heart and we really love what we do and we're so happy to have you here. And that is always, always the feeling and the sentiment during these twelve days straight
1: of training. Well, I'm glad we were able to tear <laughs> you away. It's good to have you here today <laughs> Thank also.
0: You. I really am excited to get some listener questions, though, because we picked some good ones today.
1: <laughs> Let's do it.
0: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can call us up and leave a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or please hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show.
1: Our first question today is about social media hijacking. Dear Lizzie and Dan, you're fantastic. I love the show and suggest it to others regularly. You. You've even inspired some of my own blog posts.
0: Ooh.
1: You've discussed tips for controlling one's interruptions in regular conversation. Things like not saying everything you think and not inserting every relevant story you may have. These are great because they keep a single conversation flowing well. But what about social media? For instance, when someone posts a cute story about their kid, is it proper to comment with something similar that happened to one of my children? Or am I then hijacking the thread? Mm. Since other readers can choose to skip my comment, and this is frequently not in real time, I've allowed myself some leniency. But have I been wrong? I'm not talking about posting over and over again unless drawn into a conversation with the thread's owner. This becomes even more complex when you can reply to a comment, as on Facebook. Say, Luna asks, what's your favorite soda? Her friend comments, with a small batch company local to me, but not to these folks. I reply to the comment, hey, that's near where I live, love the stuff, what's your favorite flavor? Did I do a bad by hijacking the intent of the original thread and making it all about me, or was I just participating in social media? I know you're not giant social media users, cough, cough.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> She's got cough, cough, Lizzie written there.
1: <laughs> All right. I wasn't going to just throw you <laughs> under, under the bus.
0: bus. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's, it's A, true, and B, funny. But you also aren't a huge social media. You just don't vocalize it that much. Guilty as well. Yeah, exactly. Anyway.
1: So I'd love to hear what the rest of the audience has to say, too. But first, what say you? Sincerely, Hijacking Heidi
0: hijacking. Heidi, what a great question. Fantastic. You are right. I don't participate that much, but I do actually through our channels here at work. And I think you are right to be concerned about this, but I think there's really different levels of hijacking a thread. I feel like the soda example is furthering a conversation. This is like, you know, the question is, what's your favorite soda? And the question that you ask the person back is about their favorite flavor. So I think you're within the conversation on that one. I love the thought to someone posts a picture of their baby. You don't go and post pictures of your baby. Maybe if your baby happened to own the exact same outfit, you could say twinsies. But like, that's not... um, Okay, so say, like, I post a picture of my amazingly adorable, cute, one-month-old nephew, Jasper. Naturally. And then you, Dan, went and posted a picture of Anisha, like, right below it. Like, is that undercutting the cuteness of my photo? Is it, like, hijacking the stream? What do you think?
1: I would never do such a thing. Thank you. (laughs) But I I think that's a good example. Yeah. You don't want to be caught in one-upsmanship or comparative conversation. Oh, you do this? Well, then I do this, and you do this, and I do this. I love the broad thinking here of yeah. addressing social media as a conversation. Yes, because it really is—it's a conversational medium. It's about that back and forth, that it's connecting serve, volley, return. <laughs> I don't—the tennis metaphor it's okay. escapes it works. me. It works. <laughs> um it, it, I think it's a really good way to think about it, and I think it's really useful. And sometimes when I'm. Teaching social media skills for business, I'll I'll advise people to use those conversation tiers that we talk about, the tiers of a good conversation. Tier one, small talk territory, safe subjects. Soda
0: flavors. Things like soda. (laughs) I think
1: you're actually in pretty good shape. You can talk pretty freely. In that territory. Yeah. And I think it's seen as generous participation. OK, cool. You, you were talking about um, not worrying too much yeah. about the level that you participate. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think in some ways it's about that engagement and it shows sort of a willingness to participate that I think is friendly.
0: But it also does mimic an in-person conversation in that I, okay, so um, my friend always posts those uh, things that are like, if your life was a movie, what would the title be? You know what I mean? And then people post really funny things. You don't walk into that conversational thread and say, it was my birthday yesterday. I had chocolate cake. Like, no, that's like, what? (laughs) Non sequiturs don't work that well on
1: social media. Just like they don't in person. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Also, as in person, you are careful with those controversial, potentially difficult topics and subjects. Tiers two and three, yeah. Where you can't gauge someone else's reply and in those tiers, religion, politics, but also family and finance. Yep. When we start talking about comparing baby photos, I think that's a perfect example where the spirit could be, look, adorable, similar outfits, twinsies, cute. And someone else might start to feel like, are they comparing children here? Yeah it's subtle territory but i still think that some of those distinctions can be helpful when deciding about what are good ways to participate
0: and i could see the positive version of some of those participations too where like if i posted a photo of jasper and then Pooja posted a photo of anisha and was like hey jasper your cousin anisha is waving at you today i think that would be an appropriate version of it cuz like that i would see as cute but if i posted a photo after puja posted a photo of anisha and was like well jasper's cuter today Like, that just doesn't seem like the right kind of playful banter in a public space, whereas Pooja and I might joke about that and have kind of a, a like, one-upsmanship on a personal joking we understand it level. Other people viewing that conversation might not get it. And so that could get really awkward really quickly.
1: Humor can be tricky, particularly (laughs) slightly sarcastic humor, where you don't have that um, delighted twinkle in your eye Mm -hmm. or uh, smirk on your face, mischievous smile to to clue the other person into the joke.
0: By the way, Dan and I are are like twinkling and and mischievously smiling in our examples. I have a super
1: villain across from me at the moment. (laughs)
0: No, me too.
1: I like these ideas about how to handle variation yeah. in conversation topic. I also like the distinction in this question about th- this being different and and really viewed as a different concern than the question of volume. Yes. That there is something to stalking people or spamming <laughs> people that starts to get awkward and strange. You know, every time I post something, the same person Comments. pops up. yeah, And no one else does. And they don't seem to – Recognize the the level of participation that's appropriate here, but yes. that's really a different issue than the question of am i am I taking this subject too far afield? Mm-hmm. Are these appropriate subjects what are what are appropriate variations to introduce into a conversation, and when does it become that awkward non sequitur which I think is is a really intelligent way to be to be thinking about how to participate well.
0: Hijacking Heidi, we hope that that gives you some thoughts. Those are definitely the, the first-off perspectives that Dan and I have on this subject, and we are dying to hear our audience perspective. We want to broaden this. Those of you that use social media a lot, what are, what are the ways you feel comfortable jumping in and participating on threads? For those that don't use social media a lot, what do you think about it when you hear about topics like this? We want to hear, and so does Hijacking Heidi. So send us your feedback ASAP. Our next question is titled RSVP Anxiety. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love, love, love your podcast. I used to live in Vermont Oh, and helped with the phones at VPR. Oh, wow, for the fundraisers. So I know exactly where you are recording. I miss Vermont, but not the extreme cold. We don't blame you. Here's my question. I'm not a very social person. Therefore, I don't entertain much at all. But at the urging of colleagues, I am planning a housewarming party. I purchased this adorable house a year ago and I'm finally finished with the updates and I'm now ready to have folks over. I sent out the invitations via Evite. There are some invitees that I only have personal contact through Facebook with. For these people, I sent the Evite through Facebook Messenger. Several of these people have opted out of my Messenger group for the invitees. They never responded to my Evite or otherwise communicated with me. They just removed themselves from the Facebook Messenger group. Not only has this hurt my feelings deeply, but I think that it is rude. I'm taking this very personally because I rarely open my home to friends. I would think that the courtesy of a reply is to be expected. I suspect that a majority of people who were directly sent the Evite won't RSVP either. This is a group of people who invite me to their parties and homes, usually via Evite, and I usually attend or at least respond if I can't. As previously stated, I don't entertain much, and this confirms my anxiety about people not wanting to socialize with me. Am I being ridiculous and oversensitive? Thank you so much. Sincerely, Patty from Phoenix.
1: Patty, we miss you.
0: VPR <laughs> misses you too.
1: Um, I, I want to start off by saying I, I, I feel your pain. I also have a little bit of a hesitancy about social participation, and I appreciate the 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 courage it takes <laughs> and to to step across that uncomfortable threshold and send an invitation and open yourself up a little bit and this reminds me about how important that RSVP is mm-hmm. in response to an invitation that reminds me how important it is to say something, to acknowledge the receipt of that invitation, that yeses are great, noes are OK, mm-hmm. question marks are really difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. The- well, how about question mark and no's aren't even bad or OK because they are responses? No response at all is what's really, really difficult. Then you don't even know if they were happy to have received it. I mean, that is why you get the feeling that Patty is feeling.
1: And I think a lot of people think that if I don't respond, that is my no. Oh
0: yeah, no. Let's banish that idea. It's a misconception.
1: It really is. They're different things, and we we hear about how painful ghosting is at the end of a relationship. This is essentially ghosting someone from the start, Ah. and it doesn't feel good.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: I want to just sympathize with Patty for a moment about that feeling, but also, um, I really want to encourage Patty not to take it too personally. Yeah. That
0: oh, yeah. No, definitely. That
1: part of the the social cost of hosting is that you do put yourself out there and you open yourself up a little bit yep. to the, the way the world responds. And it's oftentimes a place where you find great rewards, but sometimes there are some little hiccups and some pain along the way. And I want to encourage you to... Sp- Fight through, so and Andrew you, you, through. you, you will, I think you will find those rewards in the end. Some of these people still might show up.
0: <laughs> Patty, I want to tell you that, just so you know, this happens to every host at some point. Like, it just simply does. I don't want this to turn you off from entertaining or to encourage you to be anxious about entertaining because— This happens to me all the time. I have issued plenty of parties where I had to up and cancel the party because nobody responded. So I had no way of knowing what was going to happen. I sent out a message. Hey, guys, got no response. So... I'm going to pull the plug on this one, but really hoping y'all can make it next time. Like, it just was going to be easier for me rather than cooking a bunch of chili or making pizzas or setting up a taco bar, whatever it was for the party. By the way, this hasn't just happened to me once. This has happened multiple times, even where I did go through at the party and one or two people showed and that was it. And you know what? You make lemons out of lemonade and you have a great time and you say, today just wasn't my day in this department. Um, There are a couple things that are standing out to me when it comes to this particular party and invitation. Patty, I'm really hoping these help ease your anxiety about why you haven't gotten a lot of response. Not having seen the exact invitation, Evite, there are some gaps. So we are going to make a few assumptions here. But for the most part, when you issue an invitation for a housewarming, it's usually an open house event and housewarmings are often they have a start and end time it's an open door policy you come you see the house you have some refreshments maybe you give a gift you go it's very casual it would be okay to have a housewarming that didn't require an RSVP it's okay to have a housewarming that doesn't have a set meal Again, open house type of party. So given that type of common function, I would say a lot of people might look at this as a drop-in party. And if it wasn't indicated otherwise, they would think, oh, we'll just stop by on Saturday. No big deal. And, you know, we'll stop by, we'll say hi, we'll see the house. Great. It's not the kind of party where it's a birthday party and you're celebrating someone specifically um, and there's
1: candles will be blown out at three.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it's not quite like that. So that might ease you in, in terms of why you haven't seen as many responses and that sort of thing. I will tell you that I think going the route of Facebook Messenger in group format might have been why you were seeing so many people just disappear out of the group. I am one of those people. If I get put on a group text or a group instant message... Often I will just simply say, I'm going to take myself out of the group and respond privately. I wish people had done that for you, but a lot of people do not like being automatically put into groups with people they don't know, especially when it means that there is potential of sharing contact information or contact ability. Some people make strict policies where they're just going to leave. They hit do not disturb. They leave the group. They leave the message, whatever it is. And so take heart that that might have been more the reason for why people were disengaging with that evite. I wish that your friends had then gone and responded to the evite or let you know that they were just exiting because it's a group chat with people they don't know. That didn't happen, but it might not be because they don't want to go to your party or they don't want to associate with you. I really want to encourage you to keep an open heart and a positive attitude about this party because it's just its so easy for parties to not happen, to not go well, to be on a day that's a difficult day. The third thought that I had for you is that you've had this house for a year. And oftentimes when you get um, outside of that first couple months for a new home, people just aren't thinking of it as your new home. They aren't thinking of it as a celebratory time in life quite as much. It's almost like a housewarming party a year after you've been in the house doesn't quite have the same punch as when you first moved in. Even though it's exciting to you, the work is finally done, you know what you've been living. They all celebrated that excitement a year ago. It's hard to get people kind of jazzed up for it now. And I actually, I was hanging out with some people earlier this spring, Dan, who were talking about going to a housewarming party. And it was that like 18 months after the house had actually been bought and purchased and they moved in. And it was funny how these guests were kind of like, I don't know, they're finally getting around to it. Like, And I just want to caution you that that type of thinking can come with a party kind of in this year-long or, or after um, time frame.
1: I'm sitting here listening, just nodding along, <laughs> because I, I, I think these are all really good points. And I think they speak to that thought of really don't take this personally. There are all kinds of reasons yeah. why you may not have heard, why you might not be seeing the the type of participation that you would hope for or might expect. I'm really hoping that these colleagues— that encouraged you to do this play the role of then supporting you having gone through with the execution on it. And I'm also hoping that this friend group that you talk about or these people that have used these types of invitations, these Evites before, whose parties you attend, show up for you on this event as well.
0: The other thing that you can do, Patty, is... About a week or so before your party, it is okay for you to call friends who you've invited and ask them if they are planning on attending just so that you can get a headcount. And again, we don't know exactly how the invitation was worded, so we don't know if it's actually an open house, come and go, start and end time type of party. But if it is, it's still okay for you to call and say, hey, just calling to see if you're thinking of coming. I'm trying to get a rough estimate of who, you know, about how many people to plan for.
1: I really like that follow-up idea.
0: Totally appropriate. Patty, we hope that that helps, and we hope that you are truly enjoying Phoenix, and we will be sure to say hello to everyone here at VPR for
1: you. Dear Alice, would you like to come to a party at my house? Why bother to write? This is just an informal party. Let's just phone everybody. time. Sure. Good. We'll phone tomorrow. Next business, Refreshments. Our next question is titled, Who's in the family? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Big fan of the podcast. I have a question about wedding-related etiquette. My sister is a 31-year-old dentist and has been married for two years. My brother is 26, and I'm the youngest of the family, 25 years old and engaged. We all have been living on our own for many years. My cousin, who is getting married, addressed the invitation to my parents, which read, Mr. and Mrs. and family. <laughs> Neither my siblings nor I have received individual invitations at our respective addresses. I live out of state. Is it fair to think this is very odd? (laughs) I don't know who is technically invited, if we are allowed to bring husband, date, fiancé. I am afraid that asking them who is invited will be perceived as passive-aggressive. Also, if we cannot make it, who is required to send a gift? (laughs) My cousin did not attend my sister's wedding two years ago, received his own invitation, and he also did not send a gift. After all of this, is it fair to not feel so inclined to send a gift at all? (laughs) Thanks. Confused?
0: Oh, confused.
1: Legitimate confusion (laughs) here. Legitimate confusion.
0: All right. My guess is that one of two things has happened. Either your cousin was trying to save some money on invitations, which is true. I mean, people will do that. Um, I don't think they chose the right way to try to do it. I will be really clear. Think about it. Rather than sending four to each of the three children and the parents, they get to send one to the parents and address it all. The mistake here is that you all are adults. One is married. One's engaged, and all three of you have lived out of the house for years. This was not the way to go.
1: <laughs> so I have my hand up in the air. Yeah, I want to please. ask a question. Technically. Yes. Who's invited to this wedding?
0: We don't know because we don't know and family. It could be anybody. They, these people could invite all their aunts, uncles, and cousins from the other side of the family. And family's pretty broad.
1: I would be guessing yeah. that what's Im- sort of technically implied here is family who live in that house.
0: Technically, yes. And none of these children do. So that doesn't work. I mean, are we inviting the family pets? Because we don't really
1: think that's the intent here. No,
0: we don't think that's the intent. What has happened here is that someone is consolidating their mailings. The other thing that might have happened is that they might not have addresses for you and your siblings. And rather than call you to find out, which would have been the proper etiquette, or using a great system, they've got all these great platforms now that you email out and and people get this easy-to-fill-out box and it goes right back and, and, and like collects all the info for you. It's an amazing contact management system for things like big events, weddings, stuff like that. Good tip. Yeah, anyway, good tip, side note. So either they just didn't know your addresses and went the lazy route, I'm going to call it that, of sending and family. So, second issue is it's really on your parents who have actually been invited to find out what and family is. I like that. Okay. And calling and finding out isn't passive aggressive. Passive aggressive would be if at the wedding your cousin said, Where's my three cousins? And your parents said, Oh, well, we didn't think they were invited because they didn't receive individual invitations. That would be passive aggressive, I think.
1: <laughs> that might be the best example I can think of to describe passive-aggressive behavior. <laughs> yeah,
0: because passive-aggressive does not address things dead on. They ca- it, Literally, it passively does it, and you come across as slightly aggressive because it's annoying. So I would go the route of it really is on your parents, and it really is proper etiquette at this point for them to call and find out who is included in and family it is not necessary for your parents to point out, oh, well, why didn't you send them invitations? Mm-hmm. I would venture to guess that because you were all invited on the same invite, you could do a group gift just fine. I do think you are obligated to send a gift because that is what standard etiquette is. But right now, I would say that if all of you choose not to go, then you would want to send a small, just a token gift, an appreciation gift, something to to wish them well, even though This kind of odd and awkward invitation has occurred. Again, we never try to punish people for their bad etiquette. We never try to match bad etiquette with bad etiquette. We really want to try to always uphold our own and do the best that we can do. And the best you guys can do in this situation is have your parents find out exactly who's intended on that invitation. And it's okay to call them up and say, oh, we were so excited. The invitation is so beautiful. But we did just want to clarify who is included in and family. We really wanted to make sure that we got the right people coming and responding to this invitation.
1: For me, the biggest question was the plus one. Yeah. The sibling that isn't married, doesn't have a fiancé. What is the thought about the plus one for that particular sibling? And I just have to add that when we're thinking about gift-giving, the way that you felt when your cousin didn't send a gift in response to a wedding invitation, even when they couldn't come, that feeling that you got, (laughs) I I just want to nip that in the bud. You don't want to perpetuate that feeling in the same way you might have felt that. I think they might feel that. And just within a family, the less of that you have, the better. So seize that opportunity. Send that gift. I think you're going to feel good about it.
0: And we really hope that you figure out who's invited to this wedding and have fun if you get the chance to go.
1: Now here's another scene. Study it carefully because none of these youngsters will do the right thing or the wrong thing every time. It will be up to you to decide. Ready?
0: I love this next question. It's titled, The Kids Are All Right. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Love, love, love your podcast. I love these love, love, loves today. (laughs) Love, love, love your podcast and look forward to each new episode. I have recommended it to countless friends. Thank you so much. I am hoping you can help my husband and me settle what may be a bit of a philosophical question about kids. Okay. Some background. We frequently take our kids two months old, two years, four years, and six years old to area nature spots to hike the trails and enjoy the outdoors. Our kids are very friendly and exuberant. They love life and have never met a stranger. Often we meet other hikers on the trail who seem noticeably uncomfortable with the presence and interaction with our kids. Our five-slash-six-year-old—I'm guessing we're right in that age territory— will call out a cheery, hello, or may try to introduce himself and his siblings. The non-kid-friendly hikers will pass without so much as a smile, a wave, or an acknowledgement that they were spoken to. I am hypersensitive to others' perceptions of our children, so if I sense the passing hikers don't like kids, I shush the kids and pull them off to the side and will try to explain that the hikers aren't really interested in talking with them right now. My husband, on the other hand, encourages the friendly interactions and even, especially, when he senses the passing hikers aren't kid people. He feels like the passing hikers are being rude and that the onus is on them to correct their behavior. So the question is, who is right? Are children still to be seen and not heard? Should I be sensitive to folks who seem obviously uncomfortable around children? Or should I take the opportunity to encourage friendly interactions even when I know they may not be well-received? Thanks for your reply, Rachel.
1: And Rachel, thank you for your question.
0: I know. I had a number of thoughts on this one. Number one, your kids sound awesome. They really do. Like any kid who is gregarious and – I mean that's – so many parents talk about how hard it is to get their kids to do introductions. Here's a five-year-old not only doing self-introductions – hello – Introducing his siblings as well. Like, etiquette, holy grail child. Wow.
1: <laughs> and full-star parents getting your kids out. to uh, yeah, hike. Nature spots, hiking, giving them opportunities to interact with other people in sort of safe, appropriate, supervised yeah, totally. situations.
0: I think that it is awesome to encourage kids to be gregarious and friendly and aware of other people. I think that it sounds like your kids might be ready for the next level of interacting skills. I love this concept. So what I do not want to do is say you're right or your husband's right. I think we always have to be aware that, that not everyone around us might be into us or into interacting with us. Now, trails are narrow spaces, so it's hikers tend to be really friendly. They tend to really appreciate other people on the trail. It's not always the case. A lot of people go to the mountains for meditation and quiet and peaceful times. And, you know, rambunctious, fun children might not be their number one priority on the trail. So I don't begrudge anyone not wanting to interact with others. But I do think at least a moment of eye contact or a small acknowledgement, that is trail etiquette right there. You do not have to interact beyond that, but that is trail etiquette, simply being aware, moving to the side. If, you, if it's you going up or them coming down, whichever direction you should be moving to the side for, that's the bare minimum of trail etiquette. But no, you don't have to hold a conversation. No, you don't have to talk to people just to set the trail etiquette out there. Here's what I think you should do with your kids, because I think your kids are going to be totally capable of this. Next level interacting skills. Think about giving your kids some clues for how to look for whether or not a fellow hiker wants to say hi or talk about things they've seen on the trail. And this is something that adults do all the time when they're interacting. So you might see that person coming and you could tell your son, can you tell me when he looks up to us? And if he doesn't look up, we're not going to say hi or we could say, if he doesn't look up, we're going to say hi, but just keep right on walking, okay? And so you look for that clue. And if that hiker looks up and you just say hi, and they say hi back, then we can say something extra like, nice day, isn't it? And if they stop. That's when we can talk more. So you try to walk them through the levels and practice as you see people coming with little pieces of it along the way. That way you can prepare your kids to understand the differences in these strangers that they're encountering
1: post? it sounds like you've been teaching children's etiquette for the last couple <laughs> oh, sh- days. And it really does. <laughs> I like this. Am I crazy? Is this no. like not?
0: I mean, would if I, if I told this to you, would you be like that's ridiculous. I can't do this with my daughter?
1: This is exactly the thought oh, process okay. I had reading the same question. Okay. You're breaking down the adult interaction and you're taking a child who's at that socially appropriate developmental stage and helping them navigate the social expectations that people are using at that next level because there is something i i completely agree with you where i see everyone's right in this equation right? you're right your husband's right my cousin is right and the advice that she's giving everyone's right here <laughs> the
0: what a great morning
1: <laughs> there, there is something about kids that are rambunctious and out of control that i think can be rude i think that you're wise to not be wanting to project that into the world and be part of that what some people see as a problem at the same time your husband's right there is a social minimum that people who are sharing spaces together need to hit and helping to teach kids to hit their social minimums and do that well and at the same time evaluate and assess where there are opportunities for relationships to go a little further is a really important social skill and this is the kind of venue where you can do that, and I think that you, my cousin Lizzie, are breaking down well some of those cues. The next tip that I see you have placed on the script, I think, is a really good idea for helping kids do that. The role play. Yep.
0: At home, you can practice this. So you know, and you might practice on the like on the stairs, or in, you know, in the living room, or just, I'm thinking of somewhere where someone can come from around a corner, and then you can notice the eye contact level or the the level of engagement that you're receiving.
1: Yeah. I think the five-year-old is ready for that. Yes, <laughs> I think the little the, one's not. Yeah. The little <laughs> one's not, and I think it's also incumbent on adults to give the littler kids the pass. Yes, <laughs> the, oh yes, they aren't as prepared. That when you've got the six-month-old who's screaming, yeah, that that's because they're teething, and that's just part of six months old being. In the world. Yeah. And no one
0: should be looking sideways at those kids, to be honest. Like, even toddlers who throw a temper tantrum, it's like, come on, it's a four hour hike. You really expect a two year old to be able to handle that? There's going to be some moments, and you can get through them so that there are the good moments, too.
1: As you're testing yeah. and expanding those boundaries, there are going to be moments when anyone doesn't shine as they push their boundaries and explore new territories. So I think you're doing a really good job as a parent trying to provide those opportunities but also thinking about how you're going to manage them.
0: We hope that that helps, and we hope that it, it has not um, decided who, who is right in this but given you all a path to really enjoy these hikes even more and to further your kids' interacting skills. I mean, it is really cool that your kids are this gregarious. I, I just think that's awesome. I would love to run into you all on the trail one day.
1: Hiking was a mutual interest. It was something we both enjoyed doing, and so Joe and I became friends, good friends. With friends, it's a great old world. Thank you for your questions. You can send your next question, comment, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. My cousin Lizzie likes to encourage you to go ahead and program this phone number into your phone so the next time it occurs to you, you can also leave us a voicemail. The number is 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-KIND. 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: Each week we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes from Ivana on Twitter and is about our royal postscript segments from episode 158 and 159. And Ivana writes, No fur for royals, quote, Due to its endangerment to animals, Edward III, in 1137. Of course, he also passed laws which forbade more than two courses at any meal, allowed only royals to wear gold cloth or purple silk, and... No one below knight rank could wear velvet, satin, or foreign wool. So he was an interesting fellow when it came to etiquette and then a big smiley
1: face emoticon. (laughs) I love that. I know. Isn't that cool? We were curious and now we know. Now we know. And Kelly is giving us a blast from the past as she cruises through the archives. Episode 76 dealt with a boss who heard slash used a new employee's name wrong and the employee didn't correct it and now feels awkward. Kelly says, listening to Awesome Etiquette the first time around and to episode 76 where a boss is mispronouncing the writer employee's name. Another thought I want to add, if it hasn't been noted elsewhere, is there is an additional importance beyond the personal aspect. From a workplace view, you don't want your boss to have your basic details wrong if it comes to future references. Can you imagine that next job interview reference follow-up? What does it say about the employee when their boss and or co-workers and or references speak with a potential future employer and no one seems to have the name right? It seems it'd be very awkward indeed.
0: And not just that, but think about like introductions. If your boss three weeks from now goes to introduce you to a client, it's definitely a fix that fast. And, you know, you do your best, but fix it fast.
1: Help them. Yes. They will want to know.
0: Thank you so much for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: Now it's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes directly from the 1922 edition of Etiquette and was recommended by Peter and Tricia Post.
0: Yes, my parents found this little gem and wanted to share
1: it with us. This is on detailed directions for dinner giving.
0: That is what it's actually titled in the book, Detailed Directions for Dinner Giving.
1: The section begins... The requisites at every dinner, whether a great one of 200 covers or a little one of six, are as follows. Guests, people who are congenial to one another, this is of first importance. Food, a suitable menu, perfectly prepared and dished. Hot food to be hot and cold, cold. Table furnishing, faultlessly laundered linen, brilliantly polished silver, and all other table accessories suitable to the occasion and surroundings. Service. Expert dining room servants and enough of them. Drawing room, adequate in size to number of guests and inviting in an arrangement. A cordial and hospitable host. A hostess of charm. Charm says everything. Tact, sympathy, poise, and perfect manners. Always. And though for all dinners these requisites are much the same, the necessity for perfection increases in proportion to the formality of the occasion.
0: I, I'm having Speechless. a hard time deciding which way to go. Part of me wants to say, aren't you all so glad that we don't do etiquette like this anymore? And then the other part of me is, this is so cool, she puts charm in as an actual like ingredient. We don't always talk about that. We talk about what a host should do. We say make your guests feel comfortable and all of that, but... What does that really mean? It means having that wonderful tone in your voice and making it seem like everything around here is easy and ready. And I mean, just those are the things I'm thinking about when I think of a charming hostess.
1: I think it was this quality of charm that charmed your parents.
0: It did. It did. It's, it was the message in the email, yeah.
1: And I was wondering yep. to myself, th- that is such a mysterious word. quality yeah. and word. What is it meant to evoke? Yeah. And I was pleased when I read the excerpt that, Emily defines charm, tact, sympathy, poise, and perfect manners. But to me, there was something mysterious about it. I think the definition of the word is something a bit magical and mysterious. A charm as an object well, is yeah, that's true. a magical object. When I looked up the word charm—
0: I know. I'm pulling up the definition now. —to find the
1: power or quality of giving delight or arousing admiration— An object actor saying believed to have magic power. And so I I, I was um, confirmed in my suspicion that there was something almost supernatural or magical about it. And being someone who likes to teach and have things that I can point to – I was glad that Emily sort of started to break down what she thought made someone charming.
0: I was going to say, I like the fact that she went a little mystical, magical amorphous with it. charm. What is that? I don't know, but I want some. There is something
1: to that as well, something (laughs) deliciously sort of intangible that is an element of a great dinner and makes for a good host.
0: Let's look at some of these other things, though. I love guests, people who are congenial to one another. We talk about that all the time, that you really want to think about your guest list. it isn't just always invite everybody from your social group. You really can mix and match. And even if you have, let's say you have a group, like the the folks that I babysit for, have a group of about 20 friends. That's a big group that all get along really well and have great parties and everything. But they don't all host and entertain together all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to have little subgroups within your bigger social groups, you know?
1: Once you get them there, give them something good to eat. Oh, Yes hot food, hot, cold food, cold. <laughs> uh, I know, I it loved well. that. I
0: loved that. I loved it. Um, but that you're also thinking of a menu that is suitable to the occasion. You know, you don't want to be serving like hot, heavy lasagna and, and super like cheesy, bready hors d'oeuvres and things like that when it's like 100 degrees outside, like 100% humidity. You know, you want to think about the time of year, the weather, the occasion itself. Also, I love the pressure she puts on things Faultlessly laundered linen. This isn't just your nice, clean linen the way we describe it today. It's faultlessly laundered.
1: The service in the first edition of Etiquette, that still involved a staff. (laughs) Later on, she started to talk about Miss 3-in-1. I think service can also be about your preparation and the degree to which you make it easy on yourself to deliver this food and deliver it well and stay Charming and hospitable.
0: I know, isn't it just lovely? I also I love that the drawing room, which we would now call the living room, or we would just say space, the space, the space. You know, it wouldn't be a specific room in the house that you would be entertaining in in that way, because houses nowadays often are open floor plan. The sun porch. You might be outside. Ex- exactly, you might be outside, and I like that she separated out a cordial and hospitable host, and then a charming hostess. <laughs>
1: This was still a day of gendered roles.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeedy. Yes, indeedy.
1: Thank you to Peter and Tricia for sharing with us this delightful little excerpt from Emily Post Etiquette, 1922. It was a pleasure to share it with all of you. If you are going to give a party, choose your guests carefully. Plan invitations. Plan for refreshments and
0: entertainment. Then practice to be a skillful host. Make sure
1: the party is fun for everyone.
0: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world with our wonderful etiquette salutes, and they can come in so many forms, and we have two today. I recently visited my cousin in a city I have never been to before. She is in college there, and I stayed with her grandmother on the other side of her family, so not my own grandmother. Her grandmother, aunt, uncle, and cousins were all so gracious and welcoming, even though I am no blood relative of theirs. I felt like family the entire time, and I very much so enjoyed the new experiences, foods, and faces. Thank you, Natalie and family, for welcoming me to St. Louis. I can't wait to be back.
1: This is best, best, best behavior. I
0: know. It sounds like those hosts were not short on charm.
1: Sounds like the family got just a little bit bigger. I think so. And we have one from Aaron, who witnessed some awesome kid etiquette. I would like to share an etiquette salute to my friends and their children who recently shared my husband's and my Seder table. My friends have four children between the ages of 5 and 12, and my husband and I don't have any children. We did our best to keep things moving for the youngest of our guests. But a Seder can be difficult for kids because you've got an hour of liturgy before you even get to dinner. These children sat at the table, participated when invited to do so, asked polite questions about a ceremony that was new to them, tried all the unfamiliar foods, and didn't complain about the bitter herbs. And then, at the end of the evening, they each carefully thanked me for hosting them. The younger ones were excused for a bit after dinner to play, but they returned for the last part of the liturgy. The children left behind the toys we'd put out for them without a single quibble. I really appreciated the obvious effort that my friends had made, and I could tell that the children had brought out their best manners too. My friend even made a leaven-free dessert. Thanks, Aaron.
0: That sounds like a fabulous, fabulous Seder. And I'm just so impressed at your um, accommodations that you made as folks who don't have kids. You made sure that there were toys for these children to play with and that you included them in the meal. That was actually one of the biggest things about my grandparents' own hosting skills as adults. They really made sure that kids who were visiting the house participated in dinner conversation. They encouraged participation. They encouraged themselves to get to know their kids' friends. When they would come over to play, Emily really looked at kids as being of importance and having value and opinion at all stages of their life. And this to me just sounds like both parties were coming together. You know, when you both give, everybody receives, you know.
1: I also really like how you can appreciate and noticed that your friends had prepared their children for this meal because that is such an important ingredient when everyone's coming together like this. Thank you for sharing, Aaron. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to Etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post.
0: And I'm at Lizzie A. Post.
1: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you love the show, leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine.
0: Thank you, Chris.
1: We really appreciate it.